In a world where mental health problems are used as common tropes in various forms of storytelling, therapist Ryan Inglestad and executive producer Mike Graham try to determine what lines up with real life and what is just exaggerated fantasy. Listen as we delve into the fantastical tales told about mental health in books, movies, and television. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Ingolstadt. Here, making his Pop Psych 101 guest appearance is The Batman. It's good to be on the show, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Well, I thought it was only appropriate that I send up the bat signal because today we are covering someone that you are quite familiar with. Have you seen this movie? That's right. I just went and saw it last Friday. I couldn't believe it. Uh, what was your what was your experience like? It was a terrible experience. I love Starburst and they changed the Starburst and they moved them. They used to have them as in the wrappers and that's part of the experience with Starburst, but now they've taken them out of the wrapper and put them in a little bag and shrunk them down in size. Uh, well, hey, it's hey, horrifying. all right, all right, well, no need to get upset. I, I swear I'll get on the phone with, ah. with AMC and we'll, we'll, we'll have that fixed for you next time you go into the theaters. Swear to me! All right, well, uh, thank you for your review, The Batman. Get out of here, Batman. Jeez, wheeze that God, guy. That would be a really intense hour of conversation. Yeah, I went and, you know, I went and saw that with The Batman and yeah. he just was, he couldn't stop talking about those Starbursts. So. You know, it, it really makes Ruined sense it. why he's not able to keep a relationship for a long period of time now. Yeah, yeah. yeah poor guy. That's a whole nother episode. Okay, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, Mike. What's up? So uh, up? We, we buried it. We are covering the Joker today by popular demand. That's right. That's right. Which is to say, at least two people have asked us to do it. <laughs> no, we got an actual submission on the website. I have a little thing on the website that has people like, if you have an idea, we don't get them often, but we got one for Joker. So we knew we had to do it. We knew we were going to do it, but we got that. And then Ryan and I both, we just went and saw it. We made it happen. So we'll, we'll, we'll tell that story in a little bit. But up front, Mike, I thought it would be appropriate for us to kind of, you know, talk about something present day that might have some connections to this story. Yep. So uh, there was an article recently in uh, it just came up on my flipboard. It's in Global News. I don't know if that's a uh, uh, publication or, or what it is exactly, but it's a good article. And You're spreading the, fake news, Ryan. I don't think so. No, because the title uh, matches with what my experience is as a therapist. So the title is Men Struggle to Keep Friends and It's Hurting Their Mental Health, Mike. I'm, I'm assuming this comes as no surprise to you. No. <laughs> no, not at all. Well, and, and so uh, one of the, the things this is connected to, especially in the UK, is that I think within the past year or two that they actually, and I don't know if this is like an official position or if it's just sort of like in name only, but they uh, designated like a minister of loneliness because <laughs> health experts uh, were, were seeing that loneliness and mental health were so problematic that they wanted someone almost like particular within like, I think it's called the NIH, like the National Institute of Health, um, to be focusing on this problem in particular. I mean, that's kind of neat, actually. Yeah. Because I'm assuming, I mean, I mean, it's a, it's kind of a goofy title. Yeah. 
But maybe they wanted a goofy title. They were like, you know, let's. This has got to be like a guy making happiness. All right, let's not beat around the bush. This is a problem, and we want to solve it to the extent that we can. It also sounds like a really strange Batman villain. The Minister of Loneliness. It does. <laughs> yeah. It does. Batman goes to London. Sure. Minister of Loneliness. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, I've, I've. This is a, uh, I think a probably a common thing. I think it, it extends past mental health problems. I think men in general have an issue with it. Yeah. Yeah, and this is I can I can certainly relate to this uh, this idea that's presented in this article that men struggle to keep friends. The thing that's helped me the most in sort of preventing this problem being like a long term one is my best friendships have also have always come from like activities that I've mm. tried to stay a part of, mm-hmm. you know, the best examples being improv, which I talked about on the show and basketball. Yeah. When I go weeks without showing up at improv or as recently happened, like months without showing up at improv, like they reach out to me. They're like, Hey, like what's going on? Haven't, haven't seen you in a while. Everything okay. And then, you know, you, you feel that you get that, that realization that, oh, people do care about me. People do miss me. Yeah. Like, I should probably get back. I should probably try to do that. Ryan, are you putting Pop Psych 101 in a priority above improv? I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't number my things <laughs> just like I don't say I have a favorite child. So everything's important. It's just a matter of, you know, convenience and, you know, he, time. He loves me. We I don't love, have problems. I love all the things that I do equally. <laughs> So I don't know, like, what does the article say? Like, well, so essentially it's, it's a lot of the stuff that you're, you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll read you a quick quote. So men tend not to have deep friendships in the way that many women do, which I would probably agree with. Yeah. And this denies them the opportunity to share deeply personal and emotionally sensitive information with others. It's true. Yeah. It's I, super, I, I mean, it's so true. Yeah. I really th- agree. I have a, a pretty good example of something that happened this week. And for those that don't know, I don't think anyone really does. I'm actually currently in a uh, partial hospital program, kind of like an intensive therapy sessions that you go to for a couple of weeks, just to, it's kind of like a, like a big dose of therapy all at once, you know? Um, It's a good thing. And it's, I love going, but one of the issues I'm dealing with is stress and uh, being a stay at home dad, as any stay at home parent will understand that, you know, your kids can get there and, I have a hard time handling stress. So one of the things that the therapist there's wanting me to do is she asked me to get involved in a local dad group mm-hmm. where you would meet and have like playtime and the dads talk. And, and I was just like, no. <laughs> no, because you didn't want to or no, because you don't think that exists. I think that if it exists and it probably does, I think if it exists that it's probably sparse. Mm. I bet people don't get together a lot. I bet. And then when you're there, like guys, they just don't, they just don't talk the same way that you can with like, I've had lots of conversations with women about raising kids. It's not the same. I don't know. Even with like my close best friends with kids, it's, it's that way where like we have kids, but maybe we have the same stressing issues, but it's like we, it's not a subject we really get deep into, even though we probably both want to. Yep. Probably need to. Yeah. Yeah. And so they ended up just being like, okay, well, why don't you just join a mom group? So I'm joining a mom group. Well, right. And and basically <laughs> it's it's not so much having other men friends. I mean, that's ideal, but just having other friends, close relationships in general. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm not going to name names, but an awesome group member of ours in our awesome Facebook group shared recently about, um, you know, having experiencing this difficulty crying. And I think this is the same thing with men as well, that it's like if you don't have these deep personal connections, 
you lose out on the possible opportunity to like connect with that deep emotional stuff. And I've experienced this too. If I go long periods without like talking about how stressed I am or how hard it is being a dad, you know, mm -hmm. and somebody asked me like, like, Hey, how's it going? And I find myself actually start talking about it. I can like start to tear up because yeah. it's hard. Life is, it hard, is so hard and things Life are stressful and, and it's okay. It's like too much coming out at the same time. Well, yeah, but, but that is always a sign to me of like, oh, I should be doing this more regularly. If I can, yeah. if I find myself tearing up at the, the slightest like check-in with a, a friend or family <laughs> member, it's like, okay, uh, I should probably be back in therapy. Yeah. Which is why they're having me join a group so good. that I have people good. to, to vent to and, and, um, commiserate with. It's a yeah. good thing. It's a good thing. So anyway, you know, uh, for more on loneliness, let's talk about the Joker. All right, let's do it. And right before we do that, uh, if you guys do want to check out that group Ryan was talking about, you can go to Facebook and search Pop Psych 101 Mental Health Chat. Can you please stop bothering my kid? Sorry. Arthur, I have some bad news for you. <laughs> This is the last time we'll be meeting. You don't listen, do you? You just ask the same questions every week. How's your job? Are you having any negative thoughts? All I have are negative thoughts. And finally, in a world where everyone thinks they can do my job, check out this guy. When I was a little boy and told people I was going to be a comedian, everyone laughed at me. Well, no one's laughing now. You can say that again, pal. Struggling to make people laugh in grim, early 1980s Gotham City, the mentally ill street clown and failed stand-up comedian Arthur Fleck wears his smudgy makeup every day to eke out an existence. Mocked, bullied, and above all, marginalized, Fleck's slippery grip on reality will pave the way for a gradual descent into a dark world. This path brings him face-to-face -face with his alter ego, the Joker. So, Mike, before we get into all the things that this movie was about, I think we have to talk about our like personal experiences actually going to see this movie because okay. I, I'm sure least... you don't want to tell the listeners how many times I read that synopsis. Uh, no, no, he did a great job. His first take killed it. Yep, first take. So, <laughs> so Mike, we uh, decided, and then, I think this is a, a, a pop psych one on one first. We are covering a movie that is presently in theaters. Yep, we've never done it, and it's actually made it a little more difficult right because we have only seen it once um once and each neither of us took a notepad nope don't need notes i i always have notes so this is different for me and then i couldn't normally i'll watch it a, yeah i'll watch whatever we're doing like a week in advance and then normally the day of i watch too right and then so, i'm like i got a super refresher a peek behind the curtain here it pops like one one but yeah so you know we obviously are going to do heavy spoiler alerts. Like we're, we're going to talk about the whole movie. So if you haven't seen it, go see it and then come back. We won't be offended yeah. or hurt. Yeah. But that being said, so once we decided we were going to cover this, I 
personally just had to find the first chance to go see it. Um, my amazing wife, Jen, said she didn't care for it, didn't want to see it. So I said, okay, I'm going tonight. Night, I get home late uh, after people are asleep anyway. I went out and saw it by myself, which is the first time I saw a movie Ooh. by myself probably in 20 years. Yeah. So and all these okay. things are going through my head and the sort of build up to going to see it. Uh, for example, I sent my, my wife, Jen, a text of the like theater layout and I asked her which one of these seats is the creepiest for a si- the, the least creepy for a single <laughs> guy to sit in. Because what do you what do you look like? Well, first off, Ryan, you have to you have to tell us what you were wearing because it's amazing. Well, so I was coming straight from work. So I had, <laughs> you know, like a nice button on some slacks and uh, no. And what else? And a uh, a lovely Banana Republic uh, blue. Uh, <laughs> Say it. Say it. I, I was wearing a trench coat, more or less. <laughs> I don't think that's love, actually what it's called. Great. Um, I, love, yeah, I, I looked very point. classy, but, but the point is, is like, I pulled out to the movie theater and I'm like, I don't think I can wear this trench coat in to see the Joker by myself. Yeah. You look like, <laughs> well, well, right. But, but, and this, and, and, and I w- remember hearing stories in the build up to this movie coming out where theaters were not letting single ticket buyers, you know, into the theater. And because mm. of this very fear of like, it was going to inspire violence and copycats from, you know, the dark night and all these sorts of things. And that we can have a whole nother conversation about our culture and that problem. But, but yeah, so I already went in feeling a little bit on edge. Yeah. Like worrying about like what other people were going to wonder if they saw me slide into a seat by myself. Um, yeah. I tried to be as inconspicuous as possible, but I admit, I made it made a winner. I don't know. But anyway, yeah. so that was my experience. I went by myself. But the one thing that did allow me to do was pay really close attention to uh, sort of my own emotional experience and to the audiences, which is the first time I've had a chance to watch something for our podcast with a large group of other people. Yeah. And kind of that's I think it's super neat because you got that chance to see what how other people were taking it in. Yeah. And then kind of like analyze that for what we're going to talk about. Yeah. So we're going to talk about some of that stuff um, as we go. But it was just it was a unique experience that I was. Yeah grateful for so so by all means send us more requests for movies that are in theaters i'll I'll be happy to go see more movies by myself especially if i can wear something else <laughs> so i uh i went with my friend brian and his girlfriend and uh, i would say two things happened that i thought were interesting when i watched it was one i also thought about in a different way than you thought about but i thought about the chance of a yeah, yeah, re- yeah. repeat repeat mm-hmm. of the Joe or from the Dark Knight series yeah. thing happening. Mm-hmm. And we actually talked about this in PHP, the partial hospital program about anxiety in public places and how I had this short bout of anxiety. And then I like made sure I knew where the exits were and like it, you know, it just caused stress and took me out of the moment I was trying to be in. And it's like, man, doesn't that suck that we have to worry about that now? But, but either way, so that did happen to me. So if I had seen you in a blue trench coat, I probably would have left just, well, I need to and, put that out there. And that's okay. And that's why I sat <laughs> a really far to the side in like yeah, the, the double seats. You should have sat right in the middle. Well, but <laughs> one re- right in the really, middle. Really, really creep people out. Yeah. But then afterwards. It set the tone for this already creepy movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a- afterwards, um, I did notice my, my buddy Brian, I think one of his very first questions was about how I felt about the mental health issues in the movie. And I was just like, well, I, I guess I am that guy now. Yeah. 
Yeah. So the one that the overanalyzer. It was interesting. I liked it. I liked yeah, that yeah. he went to me for that information. Yeah. So. Yeah. So so let's do it. Let's break some of this yeah. stuff down and and talk about how we felt about it and and sort of how much we we think it's relevant to you know our national mental health conversation. Yeah. So we have Arthur Fleck. He um we come in and basically the beginning of the movie Arthur Arthur Fleck is he's a clown employed by like a business who sends different clowns out to like wave signs around and. Uh, do different kinds of things like they go to birthday parties and they go to hospitals and entertain people or like I said they'll wave signs and advertise for businesses uh, the first thing we see with him in that is that uh, some kids pick on him and steal his sign he chases them down and they beat the crap out of him uh, he gets assaulted yeah he yeah he literally gets assaulted I would say he's he's a, he's a type of person that's sort of on the outskirts um, or feels that he's on the outskirts from what he would consider the norm. He's in therapy. He's in a social program uh, therapy. He's on meds like currently like he doesn't a lot get of meds. A mental illness like it's a, been a lifelong thing he's been dealing with. Yep. He's on a, seven different medications. Mm-hmm. Um, he has an issue with laughing. And we see this several times throughout the movie. One of the best examples is on a bus ride. Arthur Fleck is uh, entertaining a child who's looking at him from behind. Like, I think most of us do in real life. We, like, give goofy face to a kid that's looking at you. And his mom turns around and rudely says, like, leave my kid alone. Yeah. And he gets nervous. And Arthur's response to any situation that makes him nervous or angry or stressed in any way he starts laughing this uncontrollable Joker laugh, right? That's how they incorporated that, which I thought was really smart. Yeah, they they grounded it. And yeah. and they ground it. And Mike, uh, you may or may not know this, but I don't know. I'm sure our audience doesn't. This is a real thing. This is not something that they made up. Is it? Do you want to know what it's called, by the way? Because the word for the laughing thing is is incredible. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's called pseudo... Oh, man, I'm going to... It's I, I could, it's, I'm already jumbling in my, in my mouth. Pseudobulbar affect or PBA. So that's what he has. So it's a real thing. And it, it can be it can be a uh, neurological uh, nervous system disorder or it can be born out of trauma, which I think is probably more likely for for Arthur. his is trauma. I yeah, think I, that's my assumption. Yes. Well, there's the two things they do talk about in, towards the end of the movie. You find out that his mom beat him as a child yeah. and uh, his, the, her boyfriends did, and she gave him a severe head injury. Um, so he had trauma and neurological issue happening. Yeah. So that's a real thing. See, that's what I was wondering about because one of the things I didn't like about uh, the mental health portrayal in this movie was they were trying to do it as real as possible, at least in the first act, in my opinion. Yeah. But they never told you what it was, and I thought, if you're going to... Label him mentally ill, which they say just dozens of times, mm-hmm. right? That he has a mental illness. They they never say this is what it is. So we can so we can know, right? So we're not guessing. I didn't know if you saw it and were like, uh, he's you know writing this. If I was gonna you know fake analyze him, yeah. So uh, yeah, I think mean, if we're if we're jumping to to diagnosis, I think I, I have some some thoughts. Some of this is based on things I've read about how they were literally creating the character between Joaquin Phoenix and the director, Todd Phillips. Some of this stuff is just through observation. Um, but it's my impression. And again, I, I, this is like 
this is in overanalyzing territory. We don't know what the meds were. Right. We don't know, you know, even. And the, of course, you haven't had him in therapy. I have not properly diagnosed or evaluated Arthur Fleck. But that being said, um, I actually think, and this, and look, this is not the only thing. I'm sure he has a probably list of uh, diagnoses that he would fit in. But I think this might actually cover a lot of it. So in addition to the uh, pseudobulbar affect, mm. I actually think the Arthur Fleck is an insomniac. Huh. I think he's not sleeping, possibly at all, or like the kind of uh, insomnia that you sort of get in like fits and spurts. This would absolutely account for his delusions. Yeah. This would account for his inconsistent mood. So account for his like gauntly physical oh, yeah. appearance. Yeah, absolutely would affect his health, no question. So this would this would account for a lot of the presentation that we see with Arthur Fleck. That's true too because wow, that kind of blew my mind. I got chills when you said that cuz like you just like everything started piecing together. Yeah. Like um they even show his several scenes in the movie when his mom goes to bed and he's always staying up after you she goes to right. bed. You don't actually see him go to sleep as far as I can mm. remember. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. So, and then the implications for that, you know, we, we see his literal, his delusions. So if he is not sleeping at all, I mean, it's been shown in research that if you go, I think it's like more than two days without sleep, you can start having actual hallucinations and, and delusions. Yeah, so which which goes along with a lot of theories about this movie. Yes. So coming out of that sort of beginning of the setup of his character being a lonely, on the outskirts sort of misfit with mental issues, we don't know what he's being treated for, but Ryan thinks he's an insomniac. He's just kind of trying to get along with his life. You know, he, he's not really doing anything. He, he doesn't have like a girlfriend or anything. So he's just working home. He loves his mother. Like he takes care of her. Um, the other thing he loves is a talk show host named Murray Franklin. And uh, that guy's played by Robert De Niro. And he, <laughs> he does the best like show dance as he's introducing the show. He like puts his arms up in the air. I don't know. That just had me going. Well, it's a very 70s late light talk yeah. show. He's like, ba-ba-da bean. Johnny Carson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so he, he loves him. And we, what we start seeing happen is Arthur will have kind of delusions. He will imagine himself being in the audience mm -hmm. and being called up to talk to Murray and all the audience is praising him for, you know, his awesomeness. Mm -hmm. And so the, they set this up and you're kind of like, well, you feel sad for this guy. Oh, sure. He's leading a very... Just meek existence, I guess. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't want to be, is the thing. That's right. So we see him in therapy, and it's clearly like a like a, a state-funded sort of social worker situation. Right. They have a couple interactions throughout the sort of early phases of the movie. And look, this is clearly like 70s-ish, right? 60s, 70s. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, when and watching it, it's such a trip because it's like, man, the therapist already has this like authority vibe. Right. Like she's behind the big desk. I know. I thought that was odd. Like he's in a job interview. Right. Exactly. That's one of the good things about where therapy has come so far is that we don't sit behind desks anymore for the most part. No. You know, a psychiatrist might, you know, like a doctor, doctor. But for a therapist, you know, we want that sort of like we're on an even playing field. We're on the same page. We're on the same mm -hmm. side of the team. You know what I mean? 
and the sort of across the desk thing is is just setting up this like antagonistic relationship between the two of them yeah. where she's barely supportive of him she's just kind of like i don't know what to do with this guy like that is the feeling that comes across yeah and i kind of wondered what you thought about that too yeah like social programs and, and i don't you know i'm actually currently the one the partial hospital program i'm in is kind of like a social thing around here sure so I don't have this experience there at all, but I'm sure this happens. And the fact that she basically just goes through in his therapy sessions and asks him like standard list questions. And then that's, she just has to fill in her boxes. Well, that's why, honestly, my first impression was that it wasn't a therapist. It was like a probation officer. Uh, because yeah. That's way more of what the relationship felt like. It's like, so have you stayed out of trouble? So did you bring your journal in today? Yeah. How have your thoughts been? And it's like, that's the closest they get to therapy when he's like, at one point, it's like, all my thoughts are negative. Well, yeah, it, what ends up happening with this relationship is they, and I was gonna ask you about this too, is that they canceled the, they canceled her program, right? So she yeah. loses funding. And that's, that's part of the overall theme of the movie is that just everything is going to crap. It's just the class warfare. There's a bunch of rich people and everyone else is dirt poor. And people are losing funding, and, and so it affects Arthur Fleck personally. And here's the thing that really got me in this scene. It had me upset, not at, like, the directors or writers or anything, but just, like, if this was to happen to somebody in real life, I would just be, like, so mad. Sure. Is that he had to, he had to go, where am I going to get my medications from? And he just didn't have an outlet for meds. No, she just kind of shrugged. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. he's on seven medications. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. If you're on seven different medications, whether it be for sleep problems or psychosis things like that yeah there's going to be a huge adjustment process to yeah. say the least and that's even with or i should say without the support of this therapist who even if she wasn't great it was at least someone he was probably seeing once a week yeah so is that is that accurate like do you think a program would just be like you're screwed uh so look i mean if this is 70s new york yeah this is absolutely something that could have happened mm. you know it less likely to happen today but and i've shared about this i think before you know, back in the 70s and 80s in the United States, right? Not not Gotham City, but, you know, mental institutions, a lot of them just closed. And people who had been living in these sorts of institutions, a lot of them for large portions of their life, were just sort of sent back into the community. Hmm. You know, and maybe they had a month's prescription, but like they had to kind of fend for themselves. We were, we sort of transitioned from you know, keeping people in institutions to now sort of community mental health organizations, yeah, which might ultimately be better. But the way we did it, much like Arthur Fleck experience, is just sort of like, okay, so um, so this program's not going to be funded anymore, and you guys are all going to go have to back and live in the real world. Good luck. And that's what happens to Arthur Fleck, and it's very disorienting for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. Yeah, so... So now, like, we've said what's happened with the therapy, but one of the things I saw in this movie, Ryan, and I was hoping you could kind of take us down this path, was this movie just sort of hit, for me, hit the nail on the head for, like, the overall conversation about mental health in pop culture. Like, I almost called this episode Mental Health in Pop Culture sure. in The Joker. Sure. <laughs> Even though that's our tagline. Yeah. It, it just kind of sums everything up. And, and I'll tell you why I think that before we get any deeper into plot stuff. Yeah. So obviously there's three acts to the movie, and but there's also three acts to the presentation of mental illness. The first act struck me as incredibly poignant mm -hmm. and right in line with where we want people 
um, showing the realness of how mental illness can be a, can affect people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they show Arthur Fleck, and he's not happy. Um, even though his mom's nickname for him is happy. Yeah. He's lonely. He's mistreated. He just wants a different life than he has, but he also is dealing with issues that is making it hard for him. And there were a couple of things that he said and a couple of things that he actually wrote down in his journal that I was going to say to you and see what you thought. Yes. One thing that he writes in his journal and like, I just like put my hand on my chest and went, oh my God, like absolutely, Mr. Fleck. (laughs) He wrote, the worst part of having a mental illness is people expect you to behave as if you don't. Mm -hmm. And that is so true. Yeah. It was one of the, one of the best examples of how the movie, you know, talked about mental illness was um, Arthur's self-awareness of others' experience of him. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's incredibly powerful, right? Because, you know, the example you gave before of him on the bus with the little kid, which is like completely innocent. He is just responding, you know, in the moment to this kid and the kid finds him funny. He's like, he's into it, right? Yeah. It's not like the kid is annoyed. No, the kid's totally on board. And then it's the mom who's like, leave my kid alone. Like whatever she says, like calls him a weirdo or something, right? A freak. Yeah. And it's like, okay, even when I try my hardest to be normal, to connect with people on normal level, people still are uh, uh, so reactionary towards me. They like can't, they can't just um, have a normal relationship with me yeah. so that anytime someone does kind of treat him like a friend or treat him normally, like whether it's the person that lives in his apartment building or some of his clown coworker friends, he really latches on to that, uh, that friendship and that normalcy because it's so rare for him. Absolutely. Yeah. So that just like hit me because I don't think it's because people expect you to behave as if you don't I think that's necessarily like perfectly no. correct, but they it was want still just, you to. Yeah. Y- well, I think it's just, they forget. Well, sure. Yeah. Right. It's, I yeah. don't have a broken arm. So well, right. They, and I mean, it's, it's a theme we've talked about in the show a lot, you know, this idea of how people can so casually invalidate someone's mental health issues. It's like, Oh, if, if I'm anxious, like, well, you just got to relax, man. Like, you know, uh, practice meditation or go for a run or, you know, get, get some more sleep, you know, that, that sort of casual invalidation of mental illness. They don't want you to be anxious. Yeah. Don't be anxious around them. Go take care of it somewhere else. Yeah. And some of it's good intentions. Like do of what course. They want. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it doesn't, it doesn't feel good to feel like you have to act a certain way. So let's bring that around. Right. So good intentions that people have for Arthur, Arthur's one of Arthur's friend at the clown business <laughs> a clown <laughs> rental business is a guy that after he's assaulted gives him a revolver because it's like hey uh maybe you need this you know for self-protection and arthur's immediate reaction to it is like oh like uh, what would i do with this what do i need this for even though he obviously knows he was assaulted like that was something that happened to him it's still like the idea of it is completely foreign but because yeah. this guy is coming to him as a friend it's like oh like Oh, okay, sure. I'll, I'll, I sh- maybe I should have a gun. Yeah. He is also like, you know, we're not supposed to have these. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Like uh, on their clown personages. Right. Of course. <laughs> and, and yeah, so Arthur does have this sort of, with the self-awareness, comes this sort of innocence that he tries so hard to connect with anyone who shows him the smallest bit of kindness or consideration. Yeah. Like, that's what I'm saying. So like the first act, like they set him up as an incredibly 
someone you can feel a lot of empathy for, like just yeah. a, a sympathetic character. Yeah. Because he seems like a genuinely nice person who is just not happy with his place in the world. Um, the other thing that that happened that like had me put my hand on my chest and, oh, that was so, you know, <laughs> right on was one of the therapist scenes. He's talking to her and um, I can't remember how he got into it, but eventually he says to her, um, I just don't want to feel bad all the time. Mm. Yeah. And, and he's saying how often he feels bad. He's like, I feel bad all the time. I just don't want to feel bad all the time. And he said that, and I kid you not, that is like, I say that to my wife. Yeah. And so like, here we are watching a movie about someone that we know is Batman's worst villain. Yep. Right. And also one of the bloodiest and most like evil of his villains. Right. And I'm feeling for him and I'm on his side. So I just didn't know how to feel about it. Yeah, and I think this is a lot of this is some of the problems that people have with the movie. It's like um almost like the movie's playing a trick on you to get you to empathize with this person that inherently you know is on some level like evil. And you, just because we're showing him before he becomes evil doesn't make what he becomes any less evil. And I think the other thing for me is that I was able to sort of compartmentalize that this to me felt like a very different Joker. Um, this does not feel like a criminal mastermind Joker. Mm -mm. Not that he, this guy, Arthur Fleck, could go on to become Batman's greatest yeah, villain. This isn't like anarchists. Like This is not Heath Ledger's Joker. This is not, I'm going to, you know, uh, wire explosives to two, whatever he does, like two different barges of criminals and good people. It's like, no, this is not that guy. Mm -hmm. Like, he, he's not that. Uh, he's, he's, more, not honest, he's, he's not that organized. He's not that organized. He's not that well thought out. I mean, he's just a different kind of person. Yeah. By the end of the movie, to be honest with you, he he just sort of reminded me of like we just watched a serial killer's origin story. Well, so I I, I don't I'm not sure. I mean, maybe this is when we should do it. Is sort of why what my perception really is of this guy, because. I got to be honest, Mike, I mean, we talked about the the sort of delusions he experienced at the beginning of the movie, like picturing himself, you know, on stage with Murray and getting all this great attention and all this kind of stuff. And and look, we're, I'm going to jump to the end, but we can we'll come back around before he does what he does to Murray, ultimately shooting him on live television and the sort of prep for it. He, he preps by pretending to shoot himself. Yeah, he does. He's going to like. Everything that we see, it's like, I'm going to kill myself on live yeah. television. So, and look, this is overanalyzing. This is like another like, oh, maybe that's the one way to see it. But because based on my sort of assessment of his insomnia and everything that we've seen that this is guy is like an unreliable narrator and someone who has delusions is that I think that whole last 10 minutes of the movie isn't real, isn't real. It's not real. That's what I think, too. I think it's the exact same thing as him picturing himself on stage with Murray at the beginning. Mm -hmm. But I think that's that's who this guy is. And honestly, and I, I sort of wish that they did it this way, because I think that would be such a more honest depiction of what these types of people are with these types of mental health problems, is that they are much more likely to be self-destructive and, and that sort of loner, hide myself. Like at one point, he literally hides in the refrigerator which, which, by the way, quick yeah. uh, trivia, that was improv. 
Ah, uh, yes, yes, it was. <laughs> and apparently, there was some some other weird scenes that actually had to be cut from the movie because it was like so bizarre. Yeah. So I just think that this is who Arthur Fleck is. He's a guy that sees himself wanting to, as he says, exist, but ultimately is someone that stays home and and does not do these things. Right. Now that, while at the same time, I think is different because I I could see this guy being the guy that killed those three people on the train. Yes. So that, that takes us into the second act. Yeah. So first off, as far as like my thoughts about the first act and, and it kind of nailing how we want people to portray in mental illness, would you agree yeah. that they were, even though we know this is a villain and so the controversy lies there, but do you think that that was like, this was it, right? This is kind of how we want people to be really real about things. Yeah, it's pretty close. Um, yeah, that's that's a fair fair statement. It it did feel like a pretty honest portrayal of what someone who's struggling with mental health like issues feels like. Yes, yes. yes. Pre villainy. Yes. Okay. So, but then, as far as the mental health depictions and our purposes for the show, the movie loses me in the second act. Okay. So at some point, he's um, he gets fired from the clown business because he takes the gun. Yes. He takes the gun with him to dance at the hospital. A and children's course, hospital. At a children's hospital. And of course they're dancing to happy. If you know it, mm-hmm. right. Everything is surrounding the, the word happy in this movie. Yeah. Uh, the gun drops on the ground. The owner of the business finds out and fires him. Right. Um, and, and this is also where you kind of find out that Arthur can be violent. Right. Yeah. He smashes his head on the um, like the phone booth. Right? Yeah, yeah, and he yeah. breaks open the glass with his forehead. Yeah. So he's depressed, and mm-hmm. he's doesn't know what he's going to do next, and he's going home on a train. There's three drunk guys, uh, and they're rich guys, and that's also the point of this movie. It's kind of this class warfare movie. Yep. And they are harassing a woman on the train. Arthur doesn't stand up for her, but he interrupts them because I think he— you know, if they were going to do a delusion there, like a clip scene, he would have like, you know, got up and beat them all up and been like, you know, Carrie walked away with her holding hands or whatever. Right. Maybe. Um, but instead, what happens is she does take the opportunity to get away and she mm-hmm. leaves. Yep. And then they come over and they start beating the crap out of him. Yep. But Arthur has the gun in the real world. Arthur kills all three of them right there. And the thing about the movie is, too, is that it's. They aren't trying to disguise this as like fake blood or like, mm-hmm. you know, like movie, like this is a movie gunshot. It looks real. Yeah. Uh, so it was affecting. Um, but after that, like he starts ramping up and becoming the villain. A couple of things that he said I was going to ask you about. Sure. At one point he mentions his meds, right? Um, and I didn't like this. Now, I know that you can go through withdrawals and all that stuff, but. Uh, someone asks him why he's being the way he's being after he turns into this more violent version of Arthur. And he says, I stopped taking my pills and now I feel better. So the reason why that hit me and I wanted to ask you about it was because that's not how meds work. <laughs> like, Well, it's interesting. So, so for me, and we've talked about some meds, people having this experience where it's like, you quote unquote feel more like yourself. Yeah. Even if that self version is like uh 
problematic in the sense that you might be really depressed or really anxious or really delusional, but at the same time, that feels like the most like you. So when I heard that, I didn't have so much of a problem with it as I was concerned about where they were going to take it next. Okay. It's like, okay, uh, all right, so if we're acknowledging that this guy is off his meds and he's happy about it, that's that's not a great sign. Listen, I get that, you know, people with certain mental illness can go off their meds and that can cause big problems, you know, namely like schizophrenics. They can have big problems being off their meds. But the way that they portrayed this was that he's off his meds and it was justification for him just being a totally different person. Like, you don't take a med... And it just makes you, A, it just, it doesn't make you better, right? Sure. Like they can help, but there's a lot of other things you have to do. Therapy, mm -hmm. you have to exercise and eat right. Like this is just one of the things. It's, you don't take your pills and you're a different person and you feel better. And then when you take your, your off your pills, you are such a different person. So wildly different that you would, and in the scene I'm talking about, murder his clown friend. And it's interesting, and, and listening to the conversations around this movie, you know, there's there's this sort of um, departure from what in some, especially in some states, could be considered like, all right, well, the guy was sort of, you know, stand to your ground, was doing sort of the self-defense thing. He killed the guys that were assaulting him. Now, the third guy who ran away, obviously, that was no longer self-defense. That was, I'm um, trying to kill a witness to the thing, the terrible thing I've just done. So... It's like, okay, man, he just did something really bad. I wonder what, you know, because this could, this could go in a lot of different directions. He could be the guy who starts to have that sort of break of, I can't believe I just did that, you know, confess to his mom, find somebody else to tell. And now he ends up, you know, the cops almost got him anyway. Like they could have gone in that direction. But instead it ramps up to that next level of, you know, his former coworkers come and check on him. A very kind thing to do. And as soon as he hears the door knock, he grabs a pair of scissors with his intention being like, basically, whoever's at the door, I is going to get it. I might have to kill them, basically. Yeah. yeah. So so this is a real departure of Arthur's uh, mentality, where if it's going from self-defense to to attacking. Yeah. So as a therapist, like do like do meds change us that much? Do they uh, alter us so much that if, I, you know, we stop taking them, then I would suddenly become a murderer? Well, no, I, I think it's it's not that black and white. I would say, you know, and, and you've spoken on the show about some of your experiences with medication, where especially the more, um, let's say, addictive ones, you're talking about benzos, the more sort of sedative ones, again, sort of in that realm of things that would knock you out, you know, slow, you, slow your brain yeah. down, more or yeah. less. Antipsychotics. Yeah. And then when you're when you come off those, that can look like uh, withdrawal symptoms that can also look like, you know, a ramp up of of your symptoms previously. I've worked with people who have had who have been on like a lot of different medications at the same time, which can cause what we call like serotonin syndrome, mm -hmm. where you're having basically spikes of serotonin in your system, leading to what might look from the outside, like really intense panic attacks or just sort of bodily discomfort. So in that sense, yes, medication, it's possible for medication to quote unquote change you that much, but I would not uh, tie the two so closely together the way that this movie did. Okay. Okay. All right. So we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, Joker versus society. 
So, Mike, we're talking about how when Arthur, you know, sort of jumps the shark in some ways of like, okay, now we're in villain territory, right? That's right. He kills this guy that was friendly to him, that was literally checking on him, and now it's it's starting to get uncomfortable if it wasn't already. Right. Now, the guy wasn't the best friend ever. Like, he he kind of undercut him a couple times, but he didn't deserve what he got. Right. And he also may have sort of given his name to the cops. That's why the cops start to get close on his tail, right? It's because of the, the more associates from work. Mm-hmm. But so he, so he kills this guy, right? And Gary, the other co-worker who's in the uh, apartment with him when he does this, this is sort of back to my movie theater experience. It's just in disbelief, like, like, Arthur, you, you, you killed him. Like what, what? And he's literally like, can't like, what is happening? I can't believe this just happened. And he wants to try to escape. But he's like, you're nice to me. So you've always been nice to me. So I'm not going to kill you. Well, right. But before that, Gary goes to the door, tries to leave. And this is one of the moments in the movie where they try to lighten the tension. So uh, Gary can't reach the, you know, the lock to unlock the door. Right, and let he's himself a little out. person. Right. Um, and it was clear that they were playing this for laughs, which like, come on, I think we can, yeah. we can do better than that. But my, my observation as I was watching it was, I don't know if this was your experience, but there were a lot of laughs in the theater. I didn't notice because I wasn't alone. So there were... And I didn't have a trench coat on. People were laughing. I took my trench coat <laughs> off to make everybody else comfortable. I put my trench coat on the seat next to me. Okay. It's somebody else's tennis coat. No. Um, so people were laughing and I was, you know, and this is where, so there's other sort of hot take that I have on this movie. Cause I just, it's, it's been like percolating in my brain for a couple of days now. And that's that this movie is a little bit of a mirror on, on us, on society, on us mm. now in present day, because yeah. How we feel about Arthur and how we feel about the people around Arthur and how we feel about, you know, what Arthur does and what the people around Arthur do, I think says a lot about how we feel about mental health and mental illness and, you know, the class stuff and all these kinds of things. Because my personal feeling, and this is not like a criticism of people who found this funny, but if you were able to kind of take yourself out of the fact that Arthur just stabbed a guy in the neck and murdered him in cold blood, and laugh. Yeah, and remembering that this isn't like um, goofy horror splatter or anything. No. They're showing these deaths as real as they would look like in yes, real life. So right. it is gruesome. Yeah, very gruesome. And then you're able to laugh at, at Gary not being able to reach the lock to let himself out. Man, I don't know. I wasn't laughing. I'm not saying I'm, I'm better or worse or different. It, it's, but it's, it's so interesting to me that in this attempt to lighten the tension of that moment, people were laughing yeah until you told me this i didn't think they were playing that for last because that wasn't how i felt when i saw it i didn't think that was funny at all what i thought was i was nervous for gary oh of course i thought he was gonna get stabbed in the face or something right and and when he couldn't reach the lock i thought oh arthur locked it on purpose right now he's gonna kill him too because it's too yeah and now he's gonna kill him but he let him out. And so for me, it was just relief. Not only did he let him out, he, he gave him a little peck on the head and, oh, little Gary, you were nice to me, so I'm not going to hurt you. And I was just like, man. And and this is, and we were talking about this before our, we were started recording. I don't know if I've made this phrase up, but th- it started to feel this way to me where, you know, we have romantic comedies and we have dark comedies and we have uh, dramedies. 
this to me, this to me is a a tromedy. So it's Hmm. trauma comedy because you, this is, we got to immediately trademark trademark. (laughs) Okay. Traumedies. So we'll just say, we'll, we'll say tromedy (laughs) and Joker. This will be the episode title. Okay. Okay. And because it was so, this was sort of the most shocking thing of the movie to me was that they were able to take these moments of intense, intense violence and then almost within a, a beat, try to make it light, try to make it funny, try to make it, um, you know, they'll, they'll have uh, Arthur Fleck do his laugh. And I heard people laughing along with him. And it's like, man, are we so kind of desensitized to violence that we're just along the ride, along for the ride with this guy? Mm-hmm. That's what it was feeling. Well, at this point, the, the, the movie has hooked you into rooting for him anyway. Well, no, I, I was you not. You want but, him to get away yeah. from the cops. You well, want him to. I was rooting for the cops, Mike. The incompetent <laughs> cops. Well, those cops. We got a whole different thing about those cops. Yeah. So the big questions this brings up is, um, we talked in the first half about how he killed the three rich guys on the train. Yeah. That sparks a whole thing that happens around him and, yes. and that I wanted to ask you about. And that yes. was people found out that like some mysterious clown has killed these three guys on the train. They were rich. Uh, there was a witness to who was involved and that was the woman. And so they knew that it was the clown and that, you know, he was not in the rich class, that kind of thing. People were pumped. They were like on board with the clown. Right. And this is like, I'm just thinking of this right now. You were just saying how it's a mirror. Like, that's a mirror for how we're reacting to the movie while we're watching it, right? Yes. yes. We're on the clown side mm-hmm. um, when we know he's the bad guy. So we have a chance to finally say in a huge pop culture thing that's happening right now that mental illness is not the reason for these actions, right? Mm-hmm. Instead, what this film does is they take the Joker and they take one aspect of his personality from all the past stuff, which is mental illness, even though he has other aspects of his personality, and they make that the central focus. So now instead of taking the opportunity they had to take the second act and let other character traits of his run that side of him, they let the thing that we empathized with him over, that which is mental illness, they let that be the controlling factor as to why he was a murderer. And I was just wondering what you thought about, like, the fact that they just totally missed it. Well, and it's not even so much missed it, right? Because I think this is sort of uh, a very common thing. I mean, if you look at classic villains across movies and and pop culture and books and television, a very classic villain trope is like they were abused or they experienced this traumatic event or they were abandoned or they were mistreated or they were an outcast. All these things that would fall under trauma. And because of that trauma, they became evil. They became a villain. They started doing terrible things. And the reality, to your point, of what mental illness and people who have experienced trauma actually do is that they are less likely than the general population to be and to become violent. Exactly. It's a fact. It's a fact. Exactly. And, you know, they do go into the fact, um, well, right before he kills his friend, in the apartment with the whole Gary situation, he he does find out that his mom abused him and his her boyfriend abused him. Um, and she has been telling him his whole life that Thomas Wayne, Bruce Wayne's dad, was his father. Or not, she wasn't telling him his whole life. She's been delusional and thought that his whole life. 
so they do introduce these these other things going on. Yeah. But because of the line that I brought up about the pills, mm-hmm. when he is specifically asked, why did you do this by Gary? He puts it on the mental illness when there was another thing to put it on. Sure. Yeah. He, he could have been like, because life is shit. Right. You know, or whatever. But instead he was like, it's because of my pills. Yeah. And, and, and to be fair, a person in his position might be that sort of reductive of like, ah, you know, I stopped taking my meds. So just like nothing matters anymore. Hmm. So it, a person in that situation might say that. Now, I guess our problem with it is that the movie is saying it right. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's, it's tough as we were sort of recognizing this gradual breaking point, like this sort of repeated now trauma in the present. And then by, by responding to it, Arthur does progressively worse and worse things he actually murders his mother who's not his mother right it's not she adopted him um after he finds out she abused him and her boyfriend abused him uh she's in the hospital following like a heart attack or something she had a stroke when uh, so the the incompetent cops yeah (laughs) yeah okay the competent cops caused her a panic attack and it blood pressure stroke yeah so she's in the hospital and he is uh, hallucinating his uh, neighborhood girlfriend um, with him in the hospital with her. Real quick, I want to stop real, real quick yeah, and sure. just say we are aware that there's a whole issue with the girlfriend thing mm-hmm. um, that people have problems with, and I don't think we have time to get into that super deep today, but I just want to let you guys know that we did read about that stuff and we're aware about it. Actually, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, uh, people are... You don't know what I'm talking about? Oh, gosh. Uh, Which part? Uh, people, are, people are super upset about they are calling him an incel. Oh, 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 oh. They're calling um, this character, Arthur Fleck, an incel. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Because I of mean, his, his, like, his, like, feeling that he owned her, you know. Or his, uh, right, or his owed some relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. And the delusion of sort of, like, forcibly kissing her, right. After he just murdered people. Yeah. 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 Full clown makeup. Are right. we still in the air right now? <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, we are aware of that. And it, it's definitely a problematic thing. We don't, I, we'll have to maybe tackle that in a different episode. But basically, he kills his mom, right? Out of anger and, and resentment for this treatment that now he sort of realizes was done to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's he has no tether to the world. He goes back to his apartment. He locks himself or closes himself in the refrigerator. Yeah. Which when I saw that was actually the point in which I, I thought to myself, Oh, the rest of this movie is just him inside the refrigerator. This none of this uh, <laughs> none of this other stuff actually happens. Basically, the cops come to the apartment like a day and or two later, and he's just in the refrigerator. See, what I thought was that's a genius place to hide. If the cops are ever looking for me, I'm getting in the refrigerator. Sure, yeah, sure. <laughs> but yeah, so now he's completely detached from reality, and this is when uh, either before or after that, at some point around this time, he gets the call to be actually become a guest on Murray's show, right? Supposedly, yeah. mm-hmm. if, if we're following this reality. Yeah. But yeah, so now it's, we, we see him starting to prepare for this experience of, oh, I get to, now I'm going to be on the show, so I have to act like a normal human being. So he does the sort of, right. you know, oh, when a person comes through the curtain, they act like this, and they sort of gesture to the crowd, and they make sort of funny, um, you know, movements or comments. So it's clear that he's uh, essentially rehearsing what is going to be, what we think might be like his last violent act of maybe yeah. killing himself on television, right? Yeah, he he keeps putting the gun up under his chin, and yeah, it was troubling to see. Mm-hmm. To see 
somebody struggling so hard and have just done these horrible things and and see these plans they're making. I, I it just was this. It was just so intense for me, like yeah. to see that. Yeah, uh, it was almost triggering to be honest with you. Sure, I think it was for a lot of people. Yeah, and, and so it, that's a, that's a question for you. Is is like this is a comic book movie, right? Is it important enough to need to show that? Well, right. So now we're getting into the sort of a question we asked similarly in 13 Reasons Why, which is, are we being responsible in portraying mental illness in this way? And it's a hard question to ask because I think some people respond to it as art can be anything. Yeah. Uh, you know, that we, why censor, why hide, you know, if we want to portray mental illness this way, we can artistically do that. But I think what, what you're asking, especially in the light of it possibly being triggering, is is it is it appropriate? Even if it's artistic, fine. Can we do better than that? Is there a better way? And I I think there is, but right. But See, to ad- but to address the the sort of reality of the situation is that is to to sort of come back to this thing that men especially do uh, more violent forms of suicide, and they do right, also is- rehearsals. This is sort of very common. Of like, okay, huh. I'm I'm gonna do it tonight, and this is how I'm gonna do it. It makes total sense for me because that you said that I didn't know that that people rehearsed it. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's a new fact for me. And so it makes sense because this, this moment could have been yep. uh, in a different movie, uh, very, very important even. Right? Oh yeah. Big time. For sure. Um, yeah. But instead it comes after, like we just talked about that he's decided that the movie has decided to tell us that his mental illness is his reasons for being this bad person. Mm-hmm. And so now it goes from something that could have been important to show because it could have been important in this movie. Yeah. Right. But they took yeah. that wrong turn. I think now we see the scene and instead of that, it's just troubling. It's just triggering. It's just, it's just, I didn't want to see it. I wanted that scene to just have been cut. I wanted them to cut the scene. Yeah. Personally. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, but okay, let's get to like the, the last the finale, scene, yeah. the finale and deal then, with the finale. And then after that, like, I really want to know what, what we could have done for him. Great. We'll do that. Okay. All right. So to set up the finale, you know, uh, after the night of sort of rehearsing, Arthur for the first time puts on the Joker suit. And so a lot of people are calling this a troll job by Todd Phillips. And and the sort of conflicting response in me was this is one of the few moments in which in the movie in which I did smile was when he's coming down the stairs to that like that song. It's mm. actually from the 70s. It's by Gary Glitter. OK, the Joker stairs. Yes. As they're known now. And I think it's Queens or Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah. The, the neighborhood's um, really mad about it. Yeah. Well, because now it's like an Instagram place. Yeah. yeah. Basically. But yeah, so he's coming down the stairs to this song. Um, it's like in every sports arena, but it's the chief song. Oh, is it the chief song? Great, sure. Yeah. Hey, right? Um, yeah. Hey, right. But so people are taking this as sort of a troll job. This song because Gary Glitter is now basically like a known sexual predator abuser person. So mm. it's like, oh, so now we're also taking the song by this terrible person, and we're making it this like climactic awesome, funny movie in this moment. See, I didn't know that because that, that's obviously on purpose. I think so, yeah. I mean, There's no way he's not aware of that, right? I, yeah, I think so, yeah. So anyway, and, and now we get to the incompetent cops. So just for a second, can I... <laughs> so the cops, like, see him from the top of the stairs, right? Are we going to do a bit on this? 
No, no, no. I don't want to do a bit. I just want to. I just want to point out how terrible this law system must have been. Right. Okay. Okay. They see him at the top of the stairs. It's clear that they have identified Arthur as like the number one suspect in this triple homicide. That's clear, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they're following him, so they're they're pursuing. They're literally in pursuit of him. Now he gets away on the train, <laughs> and they pull their guns, and they I guess get like on uh, the train of crowded people. They yeah. pull their guns out and are running with them. Like and they're... then like they get mobbed by people, other clowns, essentially um, mad at them for for pulling their guns. I think somebody gets shot. Yeah. At this point, you know, Arthur is essentially uh, on the lamb, right? He's on the run, and the, the fact that he makes it to live television. When two detectives have identified him as the prime suspect in a triple homicide that made at least citywide news just yeah. doesn't make any sense to me. Which which they've probably been like, and on, you know, on tonight's show, like they've had an advertisement for it. You would it think and- so, right? And and I don't know, I guess those two, unless those two cops were like murdered by that mob and never like told anybody that they were on the heels of this prime suspect. <laughs> uh, I, I found it a little bit of a stretch. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Moving Ryan's on. Soapbox. He's Sorry, I just the the cops uh, felt like too dumb cop tropey to me. Anyway, so we we're at the climax, right? Yeah. He's in the dressing room. Yep. He he asks to be introduced as the Joker, but I thought one of the interesting things is that he tells Murray like, "Oh, this is not a political thing. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not claiming to like be a yeah, proponent because, of the mob. Every, all this stuff, yeah." Yeah, because everybody in the city is, uh, they're all wearing clown masks, right? So, it, it, because it's the class warfare thing. Yes. So, the clown face represents that that class warfare. So, Murray's worried. He's like, why are you dressed up like this? And he's like, don't worry. I'm not political. This That's not what that that's about at all. Yeah. So, he kind of goes with it. Yeah. You know? He's like, okay. And, yeah. Yeah. I want to say that, you know, I'm aware that this is a movie. I'm aware mm-hmm. that this is about the Joker. But like I said, when they took that wrong left turn with the pills, um, if they were ever going to get me back, maybe they could have here. But what happens here, and because of the line they used, as far as our purposes as Pop Psych 101, I can't be on board with, with what they decided to do with the portrayal of mental illness, especially in this day and age and where we're at. Ryan, we acknowledged up front that we were both had thoughts about mass shooting when we went to the theater, right? Both of us yes. had them separately yes. without talking to each other. For different reasons. Right? Yeah. Yeah. For <laughs> Mine did not involve a trench coat. Right. Uh, and so he goes and, I mean, he's killing it. He walks out. He has all the confidence in the world. You know, um, like we said, he's been practicing to kill himself. So, you know, he's got that, like, who cares about anything attitude going on. Uh, and the audience is kind of eating it up, right? Yeah. What had happened earlier in the movie is uh, Murray, uh, the host of the show, had gotten hold of uh, some video of Arthur performing stand-up comedy, which he's just terrible at, just so bad. And he makes fun of him on TV on a previous episode. But then, because he got such a good response from that episode when people saw the video clip of him bombing at a comedy theater, he asked him to come on this episode of his yeah. show. Yep. Uh, so that basically, so he could, you know, just get a little more out of that clip. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a, just a crappy thing to do. It's like Arthur didn't, shouldn't he have known, you know, cause he was pretty upset about it. And so to set that up, that's, that's kind of his motivation for what's going down here. He, he tells a couple of like bad jokes and then he kind of goes on a political rampage. 
he, he does start getting political about society and the class warfare and how about how people basically mistreat him is, is his issue and that he's he's getting back at everybody now. And so Arthur says, uh, how about another joke, Murray? Murray says, no, I think we've had enough of your jokes. Arthur says, uh, what do you get? And then Murray says, I think we're done now. Thank you. He's trying to get him to leave. And then here's the line. He says this line, and it's just, uh, for me, it's a bridge too far. He says, uh, what do you get when you get a mentally ill loner with a society that abandons him and treats him like trash? Murray immediately knows that something is, is just totally off the rails. It yells, call the police, Gene, call the police. And then Arthur says, I'll tell you what you get. You get what you deserve. And he shoots him in the head. And again, this isn't like movie, fun, blockbuster hit. No, yeah. This is, it looked like somebody got murdered on screen in front of you. Yeah. And so, like I said earlier, we had an opportunity to take somebody with a mental illness, even though that was, is one of Joker's character traits. They took it and made it the central character trait. And then in the end, they used it as his explanation for why he murdered somebody on live television. What did you think? Well, yeah. So my feeling, especially with that line that you just referenced was that kind of, I think in their mind, they built up to that moment perfectly. Whereas my feeling was they didn't really earn that commentary that even if that's the the commentary we want to make that, you know, society abandons its mental Ill, mentally ill and and doesn't doesn't care for them, doesn't provide them with the support and treatment that they need, which as a statement, like we would probably be OK with. Right. But yeah. it's using that statement to then justify that that behavior that, um, and yeah. that act that I yeah. think we have a problem with. For several reasons. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So because also because it's not it tends not to be the case. It tends not to be true that that people do this. Yeah. I was hoping you were going to harp on that because that's the thing is that's yeah. not true. Like right. that's what we get after mass right. shootings. Yeah. Is and that's what it kind of reminded me of is this yeah. mass shooting thing that we hear about all the time mm -hmm. um, is people start arguing immediately. Oh, that person's just crazy. Only mentally ill people do that. And the answer is that's, like you said earlier, that's not true. So what they did is literally everything that our show stands against is completely misportray something in pop culture. And it's just the most irresponsible way to, to, to miss it. Yeah. In my opinion. So that one, that's when I went, okay. Right, right. And that's, that's when we get into these sort of distinctions of like, they're just crazy. They're just insane. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, if you look into the, you know, the sort of dictionary definition of criminally insane, it's basically like these people that can do something so outside the realm of what we consider normal without remorse, without recognition that it's actually wrong. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think that Arthur Fleck is that is, is he's not criminally insane, right? But they try to set him up that way. Right. And you, you, you had your what you thought his diagnosis was like. Yeah, I thought when you were going to come today that you would tell me you thought he had a personality disorder. And then I was like, I was so I was surprised when you said that. But then I had also thought earlier in the week, like, you know, it doesn't make any sense because people with personality disorders have buildups from when they're kids. Mm -hmm. Right. To this yep. kind of behavior. They yep. don't just break like this. So, yeah. 
Yeah, no, um, it's it's more in the sort of realm of PTSD, and I do think there's probably some insomnia-type things going on, and there certainly could be some psychosis and all other sorts of uh, diagnoses on board with Arthur. He was on seven different medications. But, I, you know, I, I don't think this is the sort of, like, criminal mastermind, criminally insane guy. This is not that version of the Joker, not to mm-hmm. say that that version doesn't exist. That version also definitely does exist. But this... This is a guy, to your point, that was set up to be this sort of broken, abused, abandoned person who took that abuse and then became this uh, killer person, which I just don't, I don't think they earned that transition, number one. And I don't think that that's a fair transition either. So I think yeah. that's kind of how we feel about it. Yeah. And so it just like, you know, it's an affecting movie. Um and everyone's going to have a different opinion about it. You guys might not agree with us at all about like how we saw the mental health aspect. And, and you get, and you remember too, that's, that's what we're focusing on is just that, that aspect of the movie. And, and in this movie, it's, it's a central character. Yeah. But, and I, I, and so real quick, cause I want to go a step further. So after, after he does this on live TV, we get the sort of aftermath of like the city goes into riots, right? You know, all the other clowns kind of come out and. Okay. So the, this is where I think the break happens. Oh, I see. Okay, so that's the that that's a when fair he, point. The, so the cops have got him after yep. he he's shoots in the Murray back of the police car because yep. he just sits there and waits for him, and then they get hit by a van. And I think that's where his mental break happens. So I just think all the dancing and people celebrating him. Yeah. So you you were about to. S- no, I essentially agree with that. Is that um, you know, because I also I mean Jesus, I I would hope that this is not a fair representation of society. Like even if there is this sort of class warfare going on that uh, a murder on live television wouldn't immediately result in people rioting in the streets. Oh, they loved it. Well, <sighs> but like saying, we think it's a delusion. That's why, that's why I think it's a delusion that even the people that uh, agree with the sort of spirit of what Arthur did would still be ultimately shocked by this violent act on live television. Yeah, and, and people that, like that guy's show. You know what I mean? He's, it's not exactly, like they hated him right, the way Arthur right. hated him. <laughs> right. Can, so, I mean, yeah. can we can we imagine if if Jimmy Kimmel were murdered on live television? Like there would be no people rioting in the streets saying, "Yeah." People would build Jimmy Kimmel statues. Right, exactly. So, and now, what, was it different in the 70s? Like, maybe, I guess. But that's why this is a comic book movie, because I think we're trying to say that, like, this version of society was so sort of ready to break. And that is the sort of classic version of Gotham, right? That Batman arises from because the city is so broken. Batman. I like Batman. You about said Batman. I think that was a a Freudian (laughs) slip because I feel so dirty after watching this movie. (laughs) I think it's it's and I think ultimately like this is this is our feeling about the movie, right? They set up this very real to a certain degree empathetic character and then try to tie it in to fake comic book world right. with Bruce Wayne and they, they tried know, to do everything else. They tried to do if it was real life, right? Yes. yes. This is how it would happen. Right. And which is super cool, right? Right. They they just had a couple of things that just changed what it could have been, I think. Well, and I've heard people talking about it, you know, what if this wasn't the Joker? Like what if they didn't try so hard to connect it to the Batman universe? And I actually think that would have been a much better movie. Really? We didn't need we didn't need the Thomas Wayne relationship. We didn't need the end of the movie when we see Thomas and Martha Wayne get killed in in Criminal Alley 
I don't think that stuff was necessary. It would have been a much more fascinating, um, maybe less popular, not not the most you know money gotten by an R-rated movie in the first weekend, but ultimately a, a better representation of like a realistic portrayal of mental illness, right? Right, because they had to shoehorn a lot of things to get it yes, to fit, right? That's they took right. A, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's kind of like a, a weird mashup that yeah that because of the mental illness aspect didn't quite like com- come together completely. So there we have it, right? Yep. So um, we're about to get into ratings, but before we do that, Ryan, um, earlier we said we were going to talk about Arthur and how we could help him, like what does therapy look like with him? Um, so he doesn't turn into the Joker so that he has a better support. Like, what are we, how are we working with him? Well, yeah, cause I also want to talk about how it would be different in, in the real world world today where he's not seeing a, you know, essentially a case manager behind a desk. He's seeing probably a therapist or he's in a program, right? Because at, at the core of, of Arthur's sort of mental health problems is this sort of sense of hopelessness that all of his thoughts are negative. He doesn't see himself as existing in the world. He, you know, sort of what's the point of, of trying to work, of trying to be good? It, nothing matters to him anymore. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about, for example, cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, that's sort of what we're talking about is sort of challenging these negative automatic beliefs that Arthur would have about himself and getting him to see evidence in the world of people caring about him, of people validating him, of people responding to him in positive ways, his coworkers, even the example of the little kid on the bus. It's like, hey, man, you know, I know you had this bad experience with um, being fired from your clown job, but you don't have to continue down this road of, you know, I was fired and now everything is terrible. What's the point of living? There's still uh, uh, opportunity for him to see and experience, uh, you know, positive results from his behavior, from his uh, from his effort. Because ultimately, that's what he starts to get a, a positive rise out of is, oh, and something that I did impacted the world. I protected that woman and killed those guys. I can impact the world. They People do see me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's if we can what, help yeah. him experience that in, in a healthier way, I think there's absolutely a real, uh, real world opportunity for so you're, a person you're Arthur. like Arthur to survive. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. We got to do our ratings. This has been a long one. Um, hope you guys enjoyed the Joker episode, but we do have to do our ratings. So if you haven't listened before, every week, Ryan and I rate on a scale of one to five. Uh, Ryan does an accuracy rating for the portrayal of uh, whatever mental health issue is there. And then I do a critics rating. Ryan, what do you got? So just because you do a critics rating, I just want to say quickly, because I'm, I'm probably going to bash this on accuracy, that this was a really beautifully shot movie, um, like the cinematography, the the acting, a lot of the a lot of that stuff. That part of this movie making was really good. Yeah. So I want to I want to say that before I say the accuracy stuff. So okay. what's your star rating? Out of five twisty for sale sign dances, because I, <laughs> okay. I just love that. I, yeah. You know, and, and I kind of want to break it down the same way we did in the episode of like, you know, there's act one, which was from an accuracy standpoint, probably like a four. Like this yeah. was pretty good on what a person in this position would, and would look like. powerful in places. Absolutely. But we're taking the movie as a whole. So uh, the second and third acts really break this for me. And it, we go from a four really to like a 1.5 overall. That's so. Yeah. Nice. 
I agree with that too. So, um, but okay. So critics. So I have been bashing this, this, sounding like I'm bashing this the whole time. I agree with Ryan's rating for the accuracy, but I, I liked the movie, man. Uh, this was a four out of five for me and I'm doing a four out of five Ryan's blue trench coats. Uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, I've been kind of ruminating on my thoughts about it because I had so many issues with the mental health aspect that so it's been affecting my rating since I've been thinking about it. And I'm also not quite sure if I loved the movie or if I just loved Joaquin Phoenix. Hmm. Because no, no matter what, in the end, that performance was spectacular. He, the, the ending scenes after he uh, kills Murray and, he's, and he gets hit, uh, in the cop car he gets out of the cop car and he's dancing on top of the cars and the people are like cheering for him like that scene is really cool as far as if we're just talking about the movie as a movie so four out of five for me um it's a if you like comic movies go see it so all right guys we do have to get out of here for the day make sure you stick around for ryan's closing thoughts but first we need to thank kevin mcleod for all the music that we use on the show you can find kevin and his royalty free music at filmmusic.io And now for some closing thoughts on the 2019 movie, Joker. People can quickly become hopeless like Arthur does when his support services are defunded and taken away. We may live in a better society today than Arthur does, but finding and holding on to support services can still be difficult. This is why it is so important to be persistent in finding support that works for you. Therapy, medication, free support groups, Online support and, of course, family and friend support can go a long way toward preventing hopelessness and other symptoms from taking hold. We talked a lot on the episode how people with mental illness are actually less likely to commit violence. And to hammer that point home, I'm going to read from an article by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention called Debunking the Myth of Violence and Mental Illness. Studies have found that of all violent acts in the U.S., less than 5% of violence in the U.S. is attributable to mental illness. While people who commit violent acts certainly have a host of problems that lead them to become violent, in the vast majority of cases, a treatable mental illness is not the cause. It should also be noted that the category of mass violent acts includes domestic and family violence, which are much more common form of violence than public mass shootings. People with mental health conditions are much more likely to be marginalized in our modern society in numerous ways. Lack of understanding, lack of access to quality mental health care, and lack of social support are major challenges we must overcome. Research shows that people with mental illness are more likely to be the victims of violence than people without mental illness, and are far more likely to be victims than perpetrators of violence. Debunking the myth that links violence to mental illness is just one critical way we will make progress toward diminishing stigma, allowing more community members to have accurate perceptions and practice more compassionate approaches to people with mental illness. Thank you so much for listening to our show. If you like the show, please check out our social media pages. We are everywhere at poppsych 101 We also love hearing from our listeners, so if you want to give feedback or suggest something for us to cover, you can email us at poppsych 101 at gmail.com or join our Facebook group. If you'd like to help us share these discussions about mental health, please leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe wherever you listen. For Mike Graham, I'm Ryan Engelstad. Thanks for listening to Pop Psych 101.